in a competition, you will do your best and it might not be the best yes. on the day, right? Yes. And then you won't lose. But you might lose. But if you want your best to be the best, then filling that gap is practice and discipline and all the things that come between the competition. How do you find the courage to try? Can you distill the clarity to start? What drives real commitment to keep going? Let's deconstruct complexity and make it simple. Let's learn how to take action and make progress. I'm Pete Seligman, and this is The Next Step. Hi everyone, Pete Seligman here with The Next Step Podcast, and I'm here with Mike Hayes, and we're going to be talking about a range of things from sport to business to people and culture, and all the way through it, all the discipline you need to really plan what you're going to achieve and have really clear goals and get there. We've known each other for actually quite a long time, back hitting beach volleyballs around on Manly Beach probably over 20 years ago. But since then, we've actually crossed paths quite a few times in various locations and various endeavours. And so it's great to have you here to talk to me about a few things today. So thanks very much for coming along. I think what would be good to start with would be really just a bit of background on you and a bit about who you are and where you've come from and kind of what your focus is right now. Mm, thanks, um, Peter. It's great to be here and, and uh, share some of those uh, insights. And as you say, I think 20 years is probably being quite kind. <laughs> it's probably more like 30 years. It probably is. So if I take myself back, so you and I met when we were doing beach volleyball down at Manly Beach uh, quite a long time ago. But prior to that, I was a um, professional triathlete for about four years and uh, competed in the Hawaii Ironman back in 87. And uh, so that was the top of my career. And then a continuation of that, I sort of fell into to beach volleyball and uh, played beach volleyball for about 10 years. Love that. That was great. And I've always been into sort of health and fitness. And when I um, turned 50, I actually had a hip problem and had my hip replaced. And through that process, I uh, took up stand-up paddling as a way of rehab. Uh, soft on the body, you know, kept me sort of you know, moving, but it wasn't too hard on my joints. And six years, seven years later, I'm now competing in stand-up paddling around Australia. Yeah, so it's, it's funny how it sort of you know, continues on, but it's a, it's a great sport. It's easy on the, on the body. It's not like beach volleyball where you know, yeah. you're really yeah. pushing yeah. around. And triathlons, obviously, it's, you know, that's pretty demanding on your body. So I've gone from three sports down to, to one sport. But it's interesting how, <laughs> isn't it, that um, they're, they're, quite often there are certain things that are just inherent within you that you just constantly thirst you need to quench right yes. and clearly for yes. you being not only being active and being fit but frankly being competitive yes is yes. something that is absolutely, absolutely. Are, right? so when i started back in triathlons back in 84 people didn't even know what triathlons were yeah. so people say do you actually um swim last yeah <laughs> you know and, yeah. and then how do you actually spell triathlon yeah. which i thought was really quite funny yeah. so yeah so that was really cutting edge here in australia particularly and then beach volleyball was also quite yeah, new. Was. Even though there was a bit of a circuit, it was more just what you did on the weekend and yeah. people didn't realise you actually played competition. Yeah. And then stand-up. I mean, when I was introduced to stand-up paddling, um, I didn't even know they'd race them. Yeah. So it was, yeah. it was quite weird. And, and a, a really good friend of mine was actually racing them at the time and he competed with me in triathlons. And he was at the top of stand-up. And I was so far behind. Yeah. And you know, talk yeah, about competitive yeah, spirit. Yeah, I thought, I've got to get that. This guy, there's no way he's going. He's going to get get in front of me. So uh, yeah. So I think I am quite competitive, but in a nice way. Yeah. You know, I like yeah. to be challenged. I really yeah. like to push my push myself and see what my body can do. And and uh, from that, you sort of learn mental strength. Um, there's a lot of discipline. There's a lot of planning. There's 
everything else that goes around that yeah. and you can apply it both in sport and also in business yeah it's funny I so I'm I've got a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old son and um the seven-year-old is relatively chilled um the nine-year-old is hyper competitive and and I often I really enjoy him being in competition because it teaches him about winning and losing and, yes. and, and the yeah. struggle of a competition. Yeah. And quite often what we'll say and what I'm trying to teach him to say is when you're in a competition, you will do your best and it might not be the best yes. on the day, right? Yes. And then you won't lose, but you might lose. But if you want your best to be the best, then filling that gap is practice and discipline and all the things that come between the competition, right? Absolutely. It doesn't actually happen on the day. Like, it'll be what it'll be by the time you get to the day. Yes. You'll just do your best and it'll either will be or won't be. Yes. So you're right, that discipline is something that comes through a lot. And it's interesting, one of the conversations, actually, I just had earlier today, that translation to business is really interesting. I was, I was asking Sam, who I spoke to earlier, about kind of those the combination of... of courage to actually start a business or clarity about how to start a business or commitment to actually do it once you said you're going to do it which one's most important and she said the third mm. being that discipline and commitment to actually do what you said you're going to do yeah correct and that's and i think there's a number of factors behind that emotionally mm. so you can wake up and you may not feel motivated yeah. for whatever reason yeah so having the discipline to know that if you put that consistent hard work in you'll get there at the end of the end of the day yeah the other aspect to all of that is the planning side of things. So if you've got a, so it comes down to having a goal. Yeah. What is that goal at the end of the day that you want to achieve? And it could be a, a weekly goal, it could be a monthly goal, it could be a 12-month goal. So if I take myself back to triathlon days, to qualify to get into Hawaii was through a race 12 months earlier. Yes. So you either had to win your age group or third in your age group or on time. And um, I competed in a race in New Zealand, came fourth overall, and won my age group. So I was automatically yeah. um, selected. Then you've got to work out how am I going to get the best out of me in that performance over the next 12 months. So it's it's a lot of planning. The days where it might be cold, dark, wet, yeah. still got to get up, and you still know you have to do that hard work. Because when you're on that start line at the end of the day, you know you've got all that behind you and that's going to motivate you and push you to do really well. And how, how do you, like that? Like there's a lot of people that talk about planning um, in business and in sport and all sorts of endeavours. Mm. How do you break down a plan? Like there's a lot of things like a 100-day plan and a 90-day plan and an annual business plan. And a, there's lots of different words yes. for plan, right? But yes. what, what does plan actually mean to you and whether it's in the context of like, the triathlon or whether it's context of the stand-up or whatever. Yes, yes. How do you think about planning? What's the cadence and how do you do that? Yeah, look, there's, I think there's a number of factors there. One is how far that plan is out, so yeah. in terms of what your goal is. So I try and break it down in, into, I guess, monthly, monthly sort of lots yeah. and then work it backwards that way. So if I can plan something where there's daily action, what I want to achieve at the end of that week, what I need to actually achieve if I haven't got there yet yeah. in that process, and then just being really consistent in my action. And obviously part of all that is a, um, a mindset. Yeah. So the mindset is that, yes, you have to get up whatever time it is, you have to you know, make sure that you are focused on doing the do yeah. so you can achieve what you want to achieve. And what do you measure in that? So just say you had an event 12 months away and you set up 
like a, a plan for that event and you've got these monthly packages, I guess, of mm. activity, yes. what do you measure? Like so what, that, yeah. and, and at what points do you measure? Because there's a bit where there's action and measurement, right? Yeah, how, how do you get yeah. the balance right between the two of those? Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite tricky to, to get that balance right. In a, in a race, so if we go back to Hawaii and yeah. how I prepared for that, that yeah. is a 12 month exercise. Yeah. So there's a really big building up of base work. And what I mean by that is that you just, every, every sort of week, every month, you're actually extending the amount of time that you might be on the bike, out running yeah. or swimming. So but you're not necessarily no. on the clock, right? You're not no. saying, oh, I've got a PB or anything no. like that during that no. period. You're basically just laying a foundation. Well, back in the 80s, nobody really knew what to do. Yeah. To be totally yeah, honest, yeah. you know, um, it was more was better. Yeah. Now, yeah. and yeah. Uh, it, so, and that was also for peace of mind, knowing that you could actually do that distance. Yeah. Now it's completely in reverse. Yeah. Which is really ironic. So I, uh, in my sport of stand up now, I probably do less training, but I get better performance. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that you're very smart with terms of how you actually train. So interval training. Yes. The recovery the food that you've got now to actually help you with your nutrition and also in terms of actually um, recovering faster. Yeah. And we've got great access to that, the actual smarts behind the actual training um, programs. So yeah. whether it's interval training, long base training, uh, sprint training, anaerobic, it's, it's all there. So, so what, because I remember when I was training for, I've run a few marathons and I remember when I was training for that, there were definitely two schools of thought. Like there was one where you build up to for a 42k event, you build up to kind of low 30s as your long run before you taper back. And yes. there's another school of thought where you only need to run 5k's um, and you do it with intervals and you do yes. various training around a yep. five kilometer distance. And when yep. you come to the day, like you'll hit 42, no worries. And there are, yeah, two completely different schools of thought. What, so what um, percentage of a race length on stand up, would you now train for? Like, do you, when you're doing a long distance event, yep. do you train to the distance or do you train much shorter? Or a um, mix of both. Yeah. I think that you have to do the sprint work, but you also have to do the base work. And what I mean by that is, a, 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 say, a, a long, easy like run or a paddle over an hour and a half to two hours. Yeah. Okay. So to um, know that you can do that much effectively in the saddle, so yes, to speak. Yeah. So if you are training for a ten kilometer race. And that's pretty normal for us on a stand-up yeah. paddle. It sounds like a long way, it does, but it's yeah. but it's but it's actually uh, it's it's quite easy once you get your base load up. I would I would paddle for 20, 25k. Oh right, okay, okay. But so that's not a totally way. different um, pace. Yep. But still, you're doing the distance, so your body needs to go into endurance phase stamina. You have to rely on the fact that you're going to get tired. Yeah. And then you've got to push through the next stage, and that's and you've got to be able to handle your body and. Uh, through that stress yeah and some people handle that really well some people don't yeah I, I think i've got a natural um affinity to endurance and stamina yeah okay so i've got to work really hard on my on my speed, oh, speed. side yeah all right so i'm a i'm probably a long twitch fiber yeah as a short as opposed to short uh twitch fiber but i like that my father was also very good at endurance events yeah and i think he's passed it on to me yeah. which is a good thing yeah yeah, yeah. so in those longer races with triathlons, I always did quite well, and it seems to be the same when I'm in stand-up. Yeah. So the longer the race, the better I go. Yeah, right. And so it's been a it's been a pretty well a relatively kind of short period of time you've been building up your exposure to stand-up. 
what's the next kind of horizon on that for you? Like, are there any kind of big events coming up in the future? That... Now, there's a few local ones. So there's a eight kilometer race around Lion Island. Yeah. So it just sits just off yeah. Palm Beach. Yeah. They just had the Hawkesbury Classic, which was a 100-kilometre race, which I didn't do. Yeah, wow. Uh, and that one is through the night, which I may think about doing next year. Yeah. But leading up to that race, there was a 30-kilometre Wyong uh, Ultra race. And I did that with three others, and I ended up winning that one. Yeah, wow. Um, but that was the, probably the furthest I've actually paddled. Yeah. And your body goes through some really weird processes. Because you're standing on a narrow board, your toes go numb, your, your legs get very heavy, the balance becomes yeah. a real issue, so your core strength has to be really strong. Yeah. Uh, even though you're moving, you're relying on a lot of other factors in your body to actually to, to keep your balance. Yeah. And that's different to if you're riding a bike for yeah. 200 kilometers or say, which is a long way, yeah. you can still keep that balance yeah. usually. Yeah. But there's so many variables on water, you've got wind, chop, other craft around you, yeah. all throwing little elements in that, for whatever reason, make it quite challenging. Yeah, right. So, so it's, um, which, which is good, I, I quite like that. So there's a number of races that are coming up that are within that eight to 15 kilometer uh, mark, which is good. And then next year, there's a, there's a couple more longer races, which I'll probably put, you know, put some thought around pushing myself and, and see if I can actually um, you know, test myself over sort of 30 and 50 kilometre sort of yeah, distances, wow. which would be nice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, amazing. <laughs> nice amazing. Meeting, anyway. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so changing tack now, yeah. I guess, as we've said, there's a lot that you can translate from sport to business, right? Yes. And, and there's yeah. a lot of kind of your inherent kind of competitive spirit plus also that kind of discipline and things that you can translate across. And we were talking um, before we started around... The, the real importance of people to the success of business. And a lot of the people that we work with in, in our business are business owners and we're business owners ourselves. And as you're trying to scale and grow a business, people are just the core foundation part of that and getting yes. the right people and finding the right people. And that's not only skills and aptitude, it's also attitude and culture. Yes. And ultimately that's what you do for other businesses, right? Yes. So, so what's... What stands out to you if if you're coming from a because there's two sides to this equation obviously there's there's the business side and the candidate side but mm-hmm. for, if if you're walking in and talking to a a business owner about what their business is trying to achieve and how they're going to find the right people what are the things that stand out to you most in terms of what they need to know about themselves and their business to start that search properly. Well, there's probably a couple of things there that are really important for a business to really understand exactly what they want that person to do in that role. A number of times I've spoken to companies that say they want X and they really want Y. Yeah. And that's just that's just what it is. And why do you think they get confused? What, why? Because that's what the role was originally there anyway. Oh, I see. It has evolved. The yeah. business has evolved, yet they still keep you know, call it the same title. Yeah. But in effect, what they're looking for when you dig down behind it all is something a little bit different. So, for example, we might be looking for a bid director, yeah. but that bid director has to be involved with delivery as well. So it's a yeah. bid director slash project director. Yeah. So not only do they have to be involved with the, with the proposals and the estimates and, and the tenders, they also have to work very closely with the client to actually then deliver that piece of work. Yeah. So there's that's very different to... Mm-hmm. 
old school big director, bit more proposal director. And then on this side, you had a project director, and that's all he did. Yeah. So you, I guess obviously you've got the upfront, you know, estimating bidding side, and then you've got the delivery piece once it's awarded. Yeah. And then there would be a little bit of a handover phase before it actually went to the project director. And do you think that those changes are occurring because the same business is itself continuing to grow and evolve, so the roles they need are reshaping? Or do you think it's also because the market and the industry itself and the models and methods they use to do things is changing. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. is, it, is it purely like an internal or is it also an external thing that means people need to constantly reassess what their structure looks like? I think it's all the pressure from uh, external. Yeah. That's what the client wants. The companies have to embrace what the client needs at the end of the day. Yeah. So they've got to move with the times and uh, it helps them grow and develop. But we're constantly in this state of movement and change all the time. So what might be the right model you know, now yeah. will be very different in three years' time. Yeah. So being collaborative, talking with clients very openly about you know, some smarts, innovation on how they can deliver, there's a cost element that obviously comes yeah. with that. So commercially, you have to agree. Instead of actually saying, okay, this is the cost, We've priced it really uh, cheaply so we can win that work and we're going to get you over here with mm. variations and claims and everything else. Clients don't want that. They've, they've been through all this. They're, they're disappointed in that approach. There's a moral com compass in there somewhere which says, you know, you and I, we've got this agreement. Let's put that on the table here and let's talk about this project. We've got to deliver it. What are we going to make it work? Forget about the cost. And so therefore you need the roles and the org structure of that business to map to the nature of the relationship Correct. between the company and the client. Yes. And as a result, you need the people in those roles to then be reflecting that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and have you found that that from a candidate's point of view has meant that as people are coming out of one role, it might be defined like this, and then they're going to look for a new job and suddenly all the roles that they used to go into don't exactly look the same. So they're having to kind of reshape. It can, be, that, it can be a little bit Does that different. make it hard to find them as well? It does. Look, there's a number of things that, that's happening out there at, at the moment. One is that we're in this infrastructure boom, and that's the space where I work. So road, rail, bridge, tunnel, big projects, road, probably not so big, but rail is what's been certainly very popular at the moment. There's a big drain on finding capable individuals within the Australian market, purely because of the fact that we've got all these infrastructure projects running at the moment. Clients know that. There's the same pool of people that are mm. circulating around. There's no innovation. So where do you look for that? Mm. Southeast Asia, UK. If you think about UK and what's happening with Brexit, yeah. all the stuff over there, people aren't that happy with you know, that um, political situation. Come, you know, They're going into their winter. We're in our summer. Yeah. You know, it's, so, it's there's, not a hard... so, so there's a lot of global opportunity. Correct. So, and so that must mean that you're... It, it, are you having to then rethink about some of your networks around how do you then start to tap yes. those bits as well? We do. And, and just uh, on top of all that is what's been happening in yeah. Hong Kong. Yeah. yeah. So there'd be a lot of people there that won't be too happy with the situation. Yeah. And therefore would be open to a conversation around moving to Australia. Yeah. And that's one of the, uh, the benefits uh, within the organisation I'm working in is that we do have a global reach. Yeah. So we can provide that value to a client who may not necessarily be thinking, we just want to keep it to Australia. They've already looked around Australia yeah. and it's the same people. Yeah. If you want something a little bit different, 
bit of innovations and smarts behind that. You might have to pay a bit, a little bit more, yeah. but you might have, and also you might have to wait, but aren't you better off waiting to get yeah, the to right get person the, in? Because yeah. the cost of a, of a new hire yeah. is... Especially the new wrong hire. Correct. It's yeah. e- extremely expensive. Yeah. So obviously there's a technical aspect where it's like, I need someone that can do this job. Yes. And then there's the cultural aspect. Like yeah. how, how do you practically, and this I, goes, I think goes to both the, um, the business and the candidate side, in your conversations with both of those sides of the equation, like how do you do the matchmaking? Like how do you actually understand, okay, now I've really understood the culture of that candidate and I've yes. really understood the culture of that business and actually I think they could be a good fit. Like it's, does it's, it take time? Like how do you... It's a gut feel. I think I've actually got a bit of a natural ability to read people quite well. Yeah. I've done over 10,000 interviews. Yeah. So, you know, after 25 years in the industry, yeah. you, you sort of get a bit of a vibe yeah, feel quite quickly. Yeah. And then I think that clients understand that as well yeah so when you meet someone for the first time there's a certain feel yeah. that you will get from that person yeah. and you'll go well he's a bit closed or a bit open yeah he's quite nice yeah not so nice or he's opened up a little bit now yeah. and hasn't opened up so there's certain aspects if you're if you meet someone and and, and you've got a certain gut feel that i like this person mm. the client will probably feel the same way yeah unless that person for whatever reason changes yeah and that and uh, that can happen, but uh, and we don't get it right all the time. Yes. But there are certain tools that we can go yeah. through. So that's one aspect where yeah, certainly gut feel. The other the other aspect is by asking behavioural based questions, mm. we'll draw out that characteristic um, in that individual. So ninety percent of of what you've seen in past behaviour happens mm-hmm. in the future, and so you'll drill down with the client exactly what profile they're looking for. You've got a, a bit of a natural gauge yeah, with yeah. Gut, with uh, with uh, cultural sort of aspect and how they would actually get on, but normally from you, if you were sitting from the client side and you're interviewing someone across the, the table, you would say, "Would I actually engage that person into my business?" Yes, and that's how I that's how yes. I approach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I'm interviewing a candidate, particularly a senior candidate, yeah. if I was the client, I yeah. always look at it from what the client side. Yeah, what would I do? Yeah. You know, yeah. do I like this person and engaging yeah. technically? Got everything covered, yeah. but it's the softer skills now that people like. They they want engagement. They like really good leadership. They don't, you know, some ideas about you know what they think, you know, where business is, and you know, having a really good understanding just generally of what's happening around yeah. is 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 great. So you've got to be quite broad with that skill set, and I, I I just don't rely on technical competencies. Yeah, it's that emotional piece. And cultural piece is really important as well. Yeah. And yeah. the clients like that because you might have a, a resume. It's I try and interview what's not on. Yeah, what the are we resume. missing? What are we missing? Correct. Yeah, yeah. 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 And Absolutely. that's what the client pays us for yeah. is to say, okay, I've got the same piece of paper. Yeah. But tell me that you know what's behind all that. Yeah. You know what are they, what are they actually achieved and what are they really excited about? Yeah. And you can throw a few curly questions in there. Yeah. And, but you'd want to know sort of what their career objectives are, where they want to go in their life, what the what's their biggest achievement they've yeah, you know, and and what, what makes them proud, and then start to get some of that alignment. Yeah, between absolutely. Them. Yeah. And then they everything starts to peel off. So yeah. you know, there's a lot of people around that do put up all the the fences for whatever reason. But yeah. you want to be able to break that down yeah. and just talk to them normally. It's it's not I'm not there to interrogate them. In yeah. fact, I'm really fascinated. Yeah. To actually, let's hear your story. Let's yeah. break it down. That's great. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had some 
amazing stories like that yeah. where you know one particular individual he was in a business for 25 years and was completely overlooked for whatever reason and when we sat down and we were talking through some of the work that he had done i went oh my god do you realize what you've actually what you've been doing but your yeah your current company doesn't recognize that at all yeah so we moved them out of that environment into a really challenging environment and he's loving it he's learning he's growing he's getting rewarded the way he should be and recognized and plus he got a nice salary yeah yeah, yeah, that's it yeah but it was a very disruptive process for him because he'd been with a company for 25 years had never been interviewed yeah didn't know how to yeah, go so through then that you need to process. get open up and you need to learn what it's like to tell that story. Yeah. So yeah. I had to work with him very, very closely to coach him yeah. and mentor him because the language he was using with the client or had he used it with the client wouldn't have worked. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and he hadn't realised he was actually coming across that way. Yeah. So, yeah, that no, was good. That's no, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm conscious of time, but thank you so much for telling us the story. I, I actually really enjoy the stories about all the sporting endeavours because that's mm. something I'm also quite interested in as well. And and the translation always of metaphors from, from sport to business comes across really, really well. And so clearly there's a connection there yes. um, for you as well. Just to wrap up, one thing I'm, I'm interested in when I talk about making progress and, and, and taking steps forward is this concept of, of courage and vulnerability. And I think that that's something that's really critical to do something new. And the story you just spoke about then in relation to that guy that had been there for a long time yeah. obviously had to take a courageous step to do yeah. something different. Yeah. What would you say is something that stands out for you when you think about or an example or a story that you've got when either you or someone that you've seen a business owner or a candidate has had to be particularly courageous and and it paid off well i think that that example i gave you was was a good one Mm. um purely because not only did he have to extract himself out of that company where we formed some very very strong relationships and very loyal he also had to relocate the family Mm. So that was that was uh, that was quite a quite a challenge from uh, from his point of view. So that was really rewarding mm. to be part of that whole process, take him through it, and he had a lot of doubt through that process. Mm. So f- for me personally, I was really pleased that he was able to look at the bigger p- picture and challenge himself. Yeah. So he was in his late forties, yeah, and uh, and that can be quite quite hard when you're so set in your ways you know i'm in my 50s so i know what it's like and you get more determined as you get older and that's a good thing and a bad thing yeah and so he needed we we often talk about every hero on a journey having their mentor and so you were the mentor for i was in that case yeah Yeah, no exactly so what i try and do now in my uh, sport of stand-up is i run a training group on the tuesdays and thursdays yeah so i actually give back so you know i had i was very privileged to work under some people that also helped me yeah in the sport it's a very technical sport and it's a very supportive community and that's what i do now so i train two groups uh tuesdays and thursdays all levels of individuals and it could be a judge right through to a painter yeah and it's fantastic we all come together we just love being on the water. We do an hour and we feel fantastic afterwards. And it's a, such a great way to start the day. Yeah, you know? yeah, great. Yeah, so it's brilliant. So, yeah, so for me, being active, you know, obviously outside of work mm. is really important. The, plan, the planning aspect of 
making sure there is some exercise in your lifestyle mm. is really important. Nutrition, obviously, mm. is involved with all of that. And then a nice, happy balance at work where you're working with really good people, but also the ability for me is to, I love meeting new people, mm. but to work with companies to help them find really good people as well. Mm. Yeah, so I've, I think I've found the right mix. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> thanks very much, and thanks for your time. No, you're welcome. Thank Cheers. you.